The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. My name is Jeff Counts. I'm your host. We're jumping over to the opera side of our company today. Christopher Macbeth, Artistic Director of Utah Opera, is with us today. He joined the opera in 2000 and has since seen over 60 productions grace the Capitol Theater stage. Christopher, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here, Jeff. Let's is, talk opera. Is that number correct? 60? Oh, it, it's probably shy, but I, oh. but yes, I, there have been quite a few productions we've done here. I'm going to give you Ghostlight official credit for 60 productions. Okay. So, you know, we recently spoke to Maestro Fisher about his planning process. How does an opera planning cycle differ from a symphony cycle? How far out do you work? I'm not sure what the differences are, but I can tell you what we do with the opera. Uh, and I probably am a little bit more democratic in the way I do things than some of my colleagues around the country. Uh, we have a 10-year planning document. Uh, I have several members of the uh, of the staff that join me in meetings once or twice a year to look at that document. Uh, some people are music, some people are production, but I have a member of uh, marketing join us as mm-hmm. well, and uh, our new CEO is going to join us the next time we do this. This is fantastic. And we take a look at where we've been, where we're going with the company. Uh, I have a desire always, uh, like most producers, to uh, to bring uh, things that I enjoy sure. uh, to the table. I love American opera in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always the easiest thing to get on the table and on the stage, but uh, but I look for every opportunity that I can to make that happen. At the same time, we have a responsibility to be always um, bringing in the new audience people, and right. nothing does that better than the tried and true standards. So I kind of look at it many ways. I often use the analogy of uh, making a dinner plan basically, both in terms of the season uh, and in terms of what we're doing on any particular production. And uh, because I'm a food lover, often uh, equated to food. Yeah. Uh, and so we look at, you know, the things that we know people are going to like sitting down to the table to for sure, whether they're new to the opera house or have been coming for years, and also try to bring a new dish to the table uh, every year so the people who have been coming for ages can try something different. Yeah, I'm sure there's a balance that has to be struck too. You've got a four production season here. That's the model at Utah Symphony. So what's what's the alchemy? What's the formula? Do you have one or does it differ based on how popular the most popular piece is? Yeah, I try not to have the exact same formula each and every year. On paper, it probably looks a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and try to think of it more in two, three, and four-year kind of macro cycles term, in terms yeah. of how I look at that. Mm-hmm. And some seasons, like this past one, which was very successful for us, our audiences loved it, uh, and it was a it was a box office success mm-hmm. of the entire season, uh, were a lot of the chestnuts of the repertoire. Sure. And then in other years, uh, and this year uh, we're slipping in some new things, uh, in addition to a couple of chestnuts as well. So I, I try to stay away from just a formula. That yeah. in October we must do a war horse, or in May we must do this, that, or the other. 
Sometimes we slip into that, but for the most part, we try to be more creative than that. Mm-hmm. Always looking for the opportunities uh, to do something particularly special. Often we'll build around a particular production in a season. Uh, I'm very excited about next season in particular uh, when we're going to build around uh, a new production of a very successful opera, Jake Heggie's Moby Dick. Very exciting. Uh, This year we're slipping in a new piece. And yes, we do four operas at the Capitol Theater, but my long-term goal is to be having other productions that happen outside the Capitol Theater. Yeah, talk about this a little bit. And so uh, to to nod in that direction is, uh, in the end of March, we'll be presenting Jeremy Howard Beck's very new opera, uh, uh, barely a year old, uh, based on the book of the same name, The Long Walk Mm -hmm. by Brian Kastner, Mm -hmm. a very successful book, very topical story, uh, with music that really suits the nature of the story, which Mm -hmm. is a difficult one. Sure. Uh, it's about the struggles of a returning Iraq uh, Air Force veteran mm. uh, where he had a very difficult job to do in Iraq and how he re- tries to reintegrate into sure. family life, into normalcy, um, but is still haunted by what he was asked to do during a difficult wartime. It's a story that's part of the fabric of American life these days. It really is. And, you know, without going too much into detail, right. you know, we've been at war in, in the Middle East for more than any other engagement in the in the history of this country. And so this is exceptionally topical. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad we're talking about new pieces because I've noticed throughout my career, and I'm sure you've noticed throughout yours because you've done your your fair share of commissioning, it's difficult for new pieces to make lasting impacts these days. I think the first performances are often very successful. It's those second and third and so on performances that are difficult to see. What do you think constitutes a reasonable success for a new work in your mind? Yeah. Well, let me first say, nothing is more exciting to any producer, and I'm certain uh, Thierry would say the same thing, than commissioning and bringing a new work of art to life. It's, right. it's one of those things that really drive us as artists and producers. It does a lot for a company, too. I'd consider it one of those, one of those experiences that I say sharpens all the knives. Really does. And you yeah. need a certain amount of developed group in your staff, in your musicians, in all of the artists, Uh, because um, bringing something to life that's never been uh, in existence before is is a whole different thing. It Mm -hmm. requires that, I I think I like your analogy, a sharper sensibility to be able to do that. It's interesting. um, In the opera industry, it takes a long time to develop uh, an audience that has a hunger and mm-hmm. a trust to try new things on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do it on occasion in the opera world, people get excited about that as long as they're fairly assured in the rest of the season they're going to have things that they know they're going to definitely enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get to the point that you can be regularly presenting new works uh, requires an investment on the part of the audience, on the part of the company as well. When you get to that point, that's the success we're all looking Absolutely. for and we're all developing towards. That 
sense of trust that every time I come to Utah Opera, Utah Symphony, name your performing arts organization, it's going to be a worthwhile experience whether I know the name of the composer and the piece and the performers or not. Yeah. Uh, and that's the ultimate success we're looking for. Now, stepping back from that, in terms of success for a piece, it's about whether the thing continues to have a life. Sure. Um, and there are lots of pieces in the history of opera. Uh, our most prolific opera composers, when you think uh, of Rossini, when you think of Puccini, uh, we, when you think of all the named opera composers, Mozart included, um, we can all name those three to five pieces that are synonymous with their name and the art form. Uh, but very few people know that there's a whole trove of other pieces Oh, yeah. that rarely get done. Sure. There are some pieces that are maybe not standard repertoire now, but get yeah. performed semi-regularly that have 70-year performance gaps in their history. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. sometimes don't get done again, right. quite honestly. Right. You can you can name those pieces as well. Yeah. But it really requires the trust and support of, of a community and the performing organization to, to bring new pieces to life all the time. Uh, the reality is some of them are just not going to be favorites with people. Sure. And that's fine. Sure. Um, but when we think of current composers, um, they all probably have one that, that gets left in the closet somewhere. Sure. Um, but they're having success because they had the support of a community, the support of an organization like this one, trusting them that, you know, here's someone with talent and given time, they're going to create something of significant worth that's really valuable and will go on to and continue to have a life. Uh, I think about pieces, uh, things that have been done at, at Utah Opera, most notably in 2007, we were lucky enough to co-commission uh, Ricky Ian Gordon's The Grapes of Wrath. Right. Magnificent piece, had some flaws because it was a new piece. Um, it was a gra grand opera, really, mm -hmm. spectacle in every mm -hmm. sense of the word, and continues to find its way. Um, it was uh, not only uh, shown in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, where the other co-commissioner, um, it's been shown of all places at Anchorage Opera. It's been shown at Carnegie Hall in concert setting. And there's a new production coming up in St. Louis this coming summer as well. Uh, so it's that's the sign of success that I the composer so. looks for in terms of a piece. Yeah. Does it continue to have a life? So you talk about building capacity and support and sort of trust in your market. Yeah. And you probably have to do this most with new works. I mean, beyond just rendering the piece excellently, what do you have to do to build that trust? What sort of what sort of ancillary activities are you are you doing to 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 sort of get the word out and build that rapport with your audience. Yeah, well, certainly like raising a child, it requires a village when it comes <laughs> to the organization. Uh, and everybody needs to be working towards it. Sure. Um, and there's, uh, I don't know, we're still developing our model here mm -hmm. at this company. Uh, we've got great marketing staff, publicity staff, um, the development people are great, but everybody has to be behind a piece um, to development, develop that excitement 
Um, and we have a great group here that does does a wonderful job at um, creating that kind of excitement. And it's even connecting with other organizations, partnerships. Uh, perhaps other people have talked about this because we do a great deal of partnerships and co-oping at this company. Um, but it's that kind of thing that starts to create a grassroots feel first in a community. Um, so people at least know something is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst thing that can happen is you can bring a piece that's never been done before to the Capitol Theater or any performing arts organization uh, theater venue, and uh, nobody has no idea that it's going on right. or what it is or anything. Um, you have to just slowly um, really just seep the information mm-hmm. out in as wide a variety of ways as possible. So at least people, when the marketing shows up, don't go, what, what is that? What is that? You sure. know, and I yeah. had no idea that they were doing that sure. kind of a thing. Sure. Uh, so it, it really requires efforts on a great deal many people to find that success. You probably spend a lot of time talking about this stuff. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's here, whether it's on KBYU, sure. whether it's going out into the community and speaking to different organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, it's my passion, so it's not Absolutely. that hard to do. Well, we look forward to having you back on this podcast when we've got a, when, when, it, when timely to talk about Moby Dick. You bet. So there's a, there's a fun question we ask all of our guests on uh-huh. the Light podcast. And because of the title of the podcast, I'm always curious to know whether or not you've ever seen a ghost i have not had the opportunity that i can remember to actually see a ghost however the capitol theater uh which was built in 1913 Mm -hmm. as a venerable um venue Mm -hmm. uh of course has its own ghost it's actually been featured i don't know if you know this on one of these tv shows that goes around the country like investigating it, it, it kind of is a ghost I hunter no show idea. absolutely and the capitol theater um has some notoriety in this area really so we lost uh a staff member of the capitol theater itself in a fire at the capitol theater and his name was george and george continues to have a presence at the capitol theater really so my favorite story uh and this has been a number of years ago mind you um one of the sheriff's uh security people who worked at the entrance to the capitol theater mm-hmm. at the stage door uh was working a night shift decided to have a little fun made some paper airplanes, went out into the theater on stage and threw a couple, I think went into the balcony and threw just to see how far he could get the paper airplanes to go. Night shift is boring work. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, after this person had had his fun, went back to his desk there at the stage door. And within a couple of moments, a paper airplane comes down the hallway leading from the stage and floats and lights on his desk. From George. Exactly. Incredible. So it's we like to think George is mostly looking out for us, and yeah. he's a very playful ghost. Yeah. We've had no 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 injuries because of George sure, or sure. anything, um, but we like to think that George is still around and enjoying what's going on at the Capitol Theater. That's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that, and thank you, Christopher Macbeth, for joining us today on the Ghost Light Podcast. It was great to talk with you about opera. Fantastic to be here. Utah Opera Season opens this Saturday October 8th with one of the opera's all-time favorites, the Bizet classic, Carmen. (laughs) 
The performances run every other day through Sunday, October 16th. Tickets and information are available at utahopera.org. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera's season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dory Eccles Foundation. <laughs>